Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Your Bibles, uh, turn with me over to the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah uh, chapter 61. That's going to be our text for this morning, and we'll get to that here in a moment. <clears throat> and this morning, what I want to do is I just want to take some time um, uh, to continue on with this series uh, that we started last week on the God of restoration. How many know our God is a God of restoration? Um, and you know what? I told the, the first service, I told them in 830, if there's ever been a time when uh, we as a people, and I'm not talking today about uh, the people of New Life Church or uh, Kingman or Arizona or even the United States. I'm talking about humanity across the world. If there's ever been a time when we need our God to step in and bring some restoration, it's now. Can you say amen? We need God to do something powerful. We need Him. But church, let me assure you today that God does that in response to His people. Now, I want, what I want to say to you, and I'm going to say this up front a little bit, is there is nothing that God does on the planet except an answer to prayer. Are you hearing that? I don't understand it all. I know that our God is sovereign. I know that He is all-powerful. But God has chosen that the way that He operates in the earth is through man. He operates through us and through our prayers. And oftentimes things that look like they are sovereign moves of God, no doubt there's parts of that in it, but it is also in response to somebody having prayed. You know, sometimes when you are woken up in the middle of the night at 3.03 in the morning, that seems to be a very popular time, uh, that's because God needs you to pray because something on the other side of the planet needs to be taken care of. And I know that oftentimes that can be very um, uh, uh, extraordinary to even think that, that somehow I could be used in such a way is that God would use my life in Kingman, Arizona to meet a need in China. But I guarantee you, He can and does. And if we will respond to Him, He will move. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And we need to be a people that are getting a hold of the horns of the altar. We need to be contending. We need to be getting a hold of God for our, our city, our church, our nation, our world, because there's a lot of things that right now hang in the balance. And, and look at, I mean, let me just tell you something. There is no doubt that the political climate, the, the health climate, all these different things that we're seeing are big things. But let me tell you something. What hangs in the balance is the, is the eternal life of mankind. We, we need to understand that a lot of what we're seeing right now is just temporary. It's just a moment in time. It's going to pass. It's just like every other moment in time. But what is, is important is the plan and purpose of God for humanity. Can you say amen? And we need to get a hold of that. We need to be aware that God is on the move. Can you say amen? And we need to be a part of it, and he wants to use you. So church, one of the things that I want to stir you in is I want to stir you into the fact that you are not, you are, you are how do I want to say this? Um, I want to make sure I say it correctly. Uh, you're extraordinary, no, no, you didn't get that. That was way too weak. You are extraordinary. 
You are created in the image of God, in the image and the likeness of our eternal God. You carry with you the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You carry with you the power and the grace and the presence of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> you have the eternal Word of God available to you. You have been given His name. Can you say amen? And your life is incredible. So I need to say to some of you today, stop thinking too little of yourself. Are you hearing me? Stop thinking too little of yourself. The problem is, is oftentimes we just go, oh, well, I'm just a number on a list somewhere, or I'm just a, 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 an obscure name somewhere. No, you're not. You're a child of God. God knows the numbers of hairs that are on your head or not on your head, whatever the case may be. The truth is today, God knows who you are. And he has a plan for your life. And the only one, the only one that can limit that plan is you. The only one. Now look at the devil has risen up. The devil has risen up because he knows he has but a short time. It doesn't matter today where you are in the spectrum of eschatology. And trust me, there's a lot of opinions about it. And it doesn't matter where you are. The truth is we are in the last days. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The Bible tells us that all the way back to the day of Pentecost, they acknowledged they were in the last days. The truth is Jesus is coming. Can you say amen? And he is looking for a church and a bride that's ready to be received, but more importantly than that, there is a world that is dying and falling apart that God loves. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And we are the people that carry His name. We are the people that are to rise up in church. We are going to have to break our comfort zone a little bit. I told, the, I told the, the first service, I said somewhere, what we got to do is we got to get out of the familiar. We got to, we, there's, there's, things, there's things happening in your life that you've like, I've had enough. Amen? And you, you say, I don't know, how am I going to get, you, look it, we used to have a saying in Jacob's Ladder, it's not original, but if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, you cannot expect a different result. If you do, you're insane. <laughs> and, and, but yet, what happens to Christians? You know, we, 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 oh, Christians get so traditional. Whoa, we, we, hit a, we, hit the, we hit a nerve there, didn't we? Holy cow. We just stepped on that sacred cow, didn't we? That's what we're doing today is kicking some sacred cows. We got to break out of this tradition. We got to get uh, we we got to get fired up for Jesus. I know, I know. There's people out there that've gotten fired up, and they've used it all about uh, making it all about them. They've they've made it all about the 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 performance. But church, you don't have to make it about though. You can make it real. You can really, truly be passionately in love with Jesus. And when you're passionately in love with Jesus, things change. Can you say Amen? You know, I, I, I get it. There's people that abuse stuff, but just because there's people that abuse it doesn't mean that there's pro not proper use for it. Can you say amen? And what we need to do is discover that and walk in it. Can you say amen? And what we need to do is be the people that God has called us to be. But if we're going to be that today, we are going to need some restoration. Can you say amen? In Joel chapter 2, verse 25, the Bible says, So I will restore to you the years that have been 
beaten. I want you to listen to this because this is such good news this morning. God will restore what has been stolen. Can you say amen? God will restore what has been lost. God will restore what has been surrendered because our God is a God who restores. We need today His restoration. Now, I want you to consider something as we move along in this sermon. I want you to consider the story of Job, because we don't like Job all that much. I, you know, a lot of people, it's kind of like the book of Revelations. We don't read Job. We, it's not, you, you, don't hear people, you hear people say, oh, man, I read the book of Psalms, or I, I read the book of Ephesians, or I read, you know, Matthew or John or whatever. But you don't hear people go, hey, man, I read the book of Job, and it rocked my world. You know, we don't, we don't like that suffering stuff. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And particularly when you begin in, in, in the beginning and you see God going, hey, have you ever considered my servant Job? What? God, stop talking. Don't, don't put me out there. If you put Job out there, he could put me out there. We, we don't like that, but trust me, church, this was not what God was doing. What's happening in this story is God is going to begin to reveal something to you and I, to Job and the people of his day, of his true heart and desire. Listen to me, in, in Job chapter 42, verse 10, the Bible says, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Now, I want you to listen to this for a second. When Job finally got his eyes off of how it was affecting him and started praying for those around him, God was able to bring a place of restoration and God God never restores just a little bit. God restored double. Are you seeing that? Church, that's a lesson for you and I that we need to get our eyes off ourselves. See, the problem with the Christian church today is we are too self-absorbed. Can you say amen? It's all about us, how I feel, how, you know, am I comfortable? Is it too hot, too cold, too loud, too soft? Whatever it is, it don't matter. It's about the one that is lost. It is about the one that is struggling. It's about there's a city called Kingman, Arizona that needs a revival. It is about you and I that need God to restore that which has been stolen and even surrendered in our lives, but we are going to have to get our eyes off of self, and we are going to have to begin to do what God has called us to do. Can you say amen? Now, Job was a man of great substance. He was a man of great honor, great wealth, and Satan came and destroyed all that he had, everything. The only thing that he could not do and was not allowed to touch was his life. He even took his health. Are you hearing me? But God, after all the trouble, after all the torture, after all the torment, God showed himself as a God of restoration that appears in Job's life and restores to him double all that he lost. Now listen, church, here is part of the problem is oftentimes we just don't believe God will restore it. We convince ourselves with the help of the enemy that he lies, he lies and says, yep, God's given up on you, trust me. Until you draw your last breath, God will not give up. 
And as long as you press in, God will be there. Can you say amen? And God will restore. God will give it all back plus some. Are you hearing me? I know the devil has risen up his ugly head, but you know what? God has a plan. Can you say amen? So who is this God of restoration? He is the God of the impossible. You need to understand it. He's the God that can make a way where there seems to be no way. He is the God that can cause water to flow from a rock. He is the God of suddenly. Aren't you glad for that? It came to pass suddenly. It will look like it's devastating. For the three Hebrew children, it looked like it was over. For Daniel, it looked like the lions were going to eat well that night. For many others, it looked like it was over. But suddenly, God comes on the scene and changes everything. He is the God that can do all things. He turns sorrow into laughter. He can level mountains. He can hold the sun to stay still so an army can win its battle. He is the God of grace, hope, and transformation. And these words have got to be more than cliches we hang on to in a book that we look at mystically. And we need to realize that it is reality for our life too. Can you say amen? That it's not just pie in the sky, but it is the word of the living God for you and I. Can you say amen? God will restore that which has been lost. He will restore that which has been surrendered. He will restore your hope. He will restore your joy. He will restore your faith. He will reestablish your peace and your confidence. He will repair your integrity. He will give you your testimony back. He will renew your security. He will cause your passion to burn again. He will restore your health uh, and he will revive your marriage. Uh, He will return your your family, your friends, and your relationship because our God is a God who restores. Now listen to me. Listen, there will be those that will mock you. Listen, they will mock you, but it will, they will also, those that mock you will also be those that witness your celebration in the name of Jesus when everything is given back. Are you hearing me? The Lord that restored Job shall restore you in the name of Jesus. All the wasted years you shall recover back in the name of Jesus. Now listen to me this morning. If we see restoration as something needed only to those who struggle, we miss out on the full picture. See, the full picture of restoration really is God's heart. See, look look what happens. See, one of the things that happens is when we're feeling good about life, we won't see God as a God of restoration. We won't. It's not until we get into, into crisis that we go, I need a God that restores. No, in your good day, you need to see that he is a God of restoration. When everything's going well, you need to pray to the God of restoration. Are you hearing me? We cannot. In fact, look, it was said that victory has, or, 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 or defeat has killed its thousands. But listen, victory has killed its tens of thousands. Because what happens is when we're victorious, we tend to let down our guard. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We tend to think all is well and there's no need. And you know what? If you're not careful, you'll be lulled to sleep by your victory. And you will become vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. It's because when you are victorious, it's when you are victorious that you begin to believe that, you know what? I don't need to do anything anymore. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? But what we need to understand is that this thing of restoration goes more than giving me things back. This, this reality of restoration is God's plan for all of us. We are all, all of us targets of God's restoration because we are right now in the middle of God's restoring work. Are you hearing me? And you need to see this this morning. You need to see this, and this is where we're going to go. And there is probably no greater picture of restoration that is seen in the Bible than in our text. And I want you to look at Isaiah 61. And I want you to think about this with me for a moment. Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Verse number seven. (coughs) Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. This is the very portion of Scripture that Jesus quoted in the temple in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. And in that description, or in that scripture, when Jesus read that, he declared that he was, in fact, the fulfillment of that prophecy. Now, I want you to think about this with me, because I believe this is the very heart of restoration and the work of Christ in our lives. I I want you to think about this. So I want you to just think about this verse with me. It says this, that he came to give us beauty for ashes. What could be this morning more wasted, more used up, more useless than a pile of ash? Something that had merit, something that had form and function, but now because of fire, because of tragedy, has been burned up. The only thing it's useful for is to blow away in the wind. But God says, I will take that which has been burnt up. I will take that which has been completely destroyed, unrecognizable, that is completely gone, beyond your ability to ever use it again. I will take it and give you something beautiful in its place. I will take your ash and make it beautiful in your life. We need to hang on to that. He goes on, he says, I will give you oil, the oil of joy for mourning. There's many that are mourning the loss of various things in life. We're struggling, we're mourning, but God says, I'm going to give you the penetrating oil of joy. It's not going to come from a circumstance outside. It's not going to come from a happening. He says, but this thing is going to rise up from your innermost being and penetrate every level of your life. And then he says the most phenomenal thing. He says, I'm going to give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. What he's talking about is literally depression. 
He says, when that spirit, that heavy, that dark moment that settles, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's inexplicable. One minute you can be very happy. The next minute you can find yourself living under a cloud of darkness, being pressed down. It's a spirit that has come to lie, and it's come to tell you that you're no good. It's come to tell you it's your fault. Let me, let me can I just get honest with you? When in, we were in the first service, I, I, I just, I'm just going to get just really vulnerable, okay? In the first service, in worship and first service, I was in here, and I was looking around the room, and I was thinking, dear God, dear God, I don't know, I think we had, I think we had 55 people, maybe a little more. That's a shadow of what we used to have. And I'm thinking, dear God, what's happened? And, and my brand of struggle is I always make it my fault. And so I'm sitting there going, what did I do? What did I do? I did wrong. And, and, and I'm, I'm in this moment. In the, now, you need to understand this is happening in, in seconds. It's not like this long, drawn-out thing. But I feel that cloud. I feel that weight pushing. <clears throat> I feel that moment where it's like I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't travel to China and eat a bunch of bats and start, you know, I didn't do that. How is this my fault? How is this? How am I the guy? I didn't do it. And the devil's lying. How many know he's a liar? If he's, look at, listen, you need to, you need to understand this. If the devil's talking to you, he's lying to you. Why would you believe a liar? I don't care if he paints a picture almost perfect. It's a lie. Are you hearing me? So, well, he's a good artist. He is. He's had a lot of years to do it. But you know what? He's still a liar. With all his talent and ability, he lies. He is the father of lies. He's not capable of telling the truth. Are you hearing me? But as I'm sitting there in that first service, I'm looking around and I'm going, dear God, what's happening? And God is saying to me in that moment, worship me, John. Praise me. I got this. I can bring a thousand people in here in one second. I can, I can cause the floodgates to open in a nanosecond, a flick of my eyelash, and another universe is in existence. I, nothing's too difficult for me. What I need is I need you to be on my side. Quit thinking. Quit, John, quit trying to get me on yours. You get on mine. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And he says, I gave you the garment of praise. Now, here's the crazy thing about a garment. You have to choose to put it on. If you don't choose to put it on, it's useless. It's irrelevant. How many of us have clothes? Don't raise your hand. They're hanging in our closet that we never wear. Maybe, it's, maybe you're too big for it. Maybe you're too small for it. I don't know. I don't know why it is. Maybe, maybe how many has ever gotten an ugly sweater? Don't raise your hand. That somewhere along the line, it's like, dear God, how, what do I do? God says, put it on. Take the garment of praise. At church, this is what's happening. We're standing too much. I know, I get myself in trouble right here. I get myself in trouble because there's always somebody who's like, you ain't making me do nothing. Well, I'm not trying to make you do nothing except get restored and win. But hey, you have it your way. Somewhere along the line, this has got to stop. He's, first of all, he's worthy of your praise. He's worthy of the, of, of, of the demonstration of your heart. 
He's worthy of it. He's saying, oh, what do you want me to do, run around? No, I'm not asking you to do nothing that you're uncomfortable with, but I'm asking you to get out of the box. I'm asking you to maybe lift up your hands. I'm asking you to maybe put your focus on him. I'm asking you to put the garment of praise on because it will remove the spirit of heaviness. The problem with the spirit of heaviness, we don't like praising when we feel heavy. Uh, let me say this. I don't like praising God when I feel heavy, when I feel bummed out, when I'm, when I'm thinking it's all my fault and I'm no good and I'm this and I'm that, and then I hear the voice in my head, praise me. I'm like, yeah, right, for what? You never praise God for anything other than God. I don't praise him for what he's done. I praise him for who he is. Are you hearing me? If you praise him for what he's done, it will be conditional. If I praise him for who he is, it's transforming and eternal. Are you hearing me? Listen to what I'm saying. And I believe this is the work of restoration. And I believe that Jesus went to the cross not only to forgive us of our sins, but he went there so that we could be free so that we could be free from the hidden wounds. I believe Jesus shed his blood so that the pain of our lives could be washed away. I believe that his life was given so our broken hearts could be healed. I believe that God is a God of restoration. There is not a person in this building today that has not experienced the pain of an emotional wound. We have all been taken advantage of. We've all been misunderstood and manipulated and humiliated. We've all known the pain of being ignored or left out or rejected. We've all felt the sting of neglect and deception. We all have memories of abuse and of abandonment and betrayal that are still all too real. There are those in this place that have endured the cutting words of an abusive father or an abusive mother. We can still hear those words in our mind that cut like a knife, words spoken in anger, words that pierce our heart, words that wound your soul. There are those who have survived attacks from an angry spouse or an angry boyfriend or girlfriend. We know the pain of violence. You understand the, the fear that rage can produce. There are those that carry with them the memory of childhood rejection and humiliation. You remember the painful years of school when you did not fit in. You know the sting of being the butt of every joke. Uh, there are those here that carry the weight of sorrow. You know the the, the waves of grief that flow in without notice, knocking you off balance. You know the permanence of death. You have lost a loved one, a friend, a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, a husband, or a wife, and you know that nothing can bring them back. And there are those that have grown disappointed, disillusioned, defeated, lost dreams, broken promises, unrealized goals, unmet needs, litter your heart. And all of us this morning have experienced the destruction that sin can cause. Sin cost you more than you wanted to pay. Sin took you and kept you longer than you wanted to stay. Sin took you further than you wanted to go. And the list could go on and on of hidden painful wounds, broken hearts, and damaged souls. The reality is you're here whether you're willing to admit it or not. And your life is wounded. 
And for many, the pain of your wounded heart is all you know. Are you hearing me? But let me tell you, there's good news, and it's going to get better. Hang on. In Psalm 34, verses 8 through 19, it says, The Lord is close to a broken heart, and He rescues those that are crushed in spirit. The righteous face many troubles, but the Lord rescues them from them from each and every one. Are you hearing me? Psalms 147.3 says, He heals the broken in heart, and He binds up their wounds. Because He was anointed, He is the anointed one and his anointing. He is the Messiah. He came to preach the gospel to poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, recovery of sight to blind, to set the liberty, those that are pressed, to comfort those who mourn, to give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And instead of your shame, you know what shame is? It's the thing that lies to you about who you are. It tells you that you are something you are not. And instead of that, God says, I want to give you double honor. These are not my words. These are his. Are you hearing me? And in Hebrews 7, 24 through 25, I'm building to something, so you hang on with me. He says, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood, talking about Jesus, Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those that come to him or come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for him. Isn't that an amazing thought? This unchangeable priest is praying for you and I right now. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And he's able to save to the uttermost. That means whatever it takes, whatever is necessary. Are you hearing me? And this word saved literally is the word sozo that means to make well, to make whole, to rescue, to restore. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Now, here's the thing. That ain't even all that there is. That ain't even the good stuff. (laughs) That's the appetizer. If you were in England, it's called the befores. Now we'll talk about the main meal. God's restoration, even though it does all of that, is not about that. God's restoration is about taking you all the way back to the original plan. See, in the eons of time past, God thought of you and had a plan for you and a purpose, and it was perfect. But then sin got in the way. Things began to happen, and there was a major distortion. And God says, what I'm doing is bringing you all the way back to the original plan, to who you were created to be. That's why 2 Corinthians says in 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now listen, you say, what was I created for? This is what's amazing to me, church, because this is what God's restoring. And I pray, I pray that you catch us. 
I pray that you catch this. Because this is what Isaiah 61 is about. This is what 2 Corinthians is about. This is what Ezekiel 37 that we talked about last week is about. All of this. And it's found in a rather interesting scripture. This scripture has been used part of what's called Romans Road to win a lot of people to the Lord. And we have focused on the negative of this scripture, but we've never seen the truth of it. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, you sinners. That's the wrong focus. <laughs> so what's the focus? You were created to be a bearer of the very glory of God. You were created to house the glory of God. You are to be a reflection of the glory of God. You are meant to radiate the glory of God. The Bible says this, that He is high and lifted up and His train fills the temple. If you, and you say, well, why is that significant? Because the train was a part of the robe of, of, of someone who's majestic, that the longer it was, the more majestic you were. And the Bible that says His train fills the temple, it is an ongoing thing. When He walks into the throne room, His train follows Him, His glory follows Him, and it never ends. It continues to fill the throne room. It continues to fill it. For eternity it will flow in. That's what you were created. You that look in the mirror and go, you're a waste of time. You are a failure. You're no good. You're this. You're that. You're a sinner. You're these things. All these things. You were a vessel of the very glory of God. That which is unsearchable, unknowable, uncontainable is supposed supposed to live completely in you. Did you hear me, church? That which is unsearchable, unknowable, uncontainable is to live in you completely. You are a vessel of the glory of God. That is what God is restoring. And it's when we catch that that we become those that change the world rather than conform to it. Are you hearing me? That's what I want, church. Do I want people saved? Well, of course. Do I want people healed and delivered? Of course. Do I want provision and all that He promises? Of course. But I don't want His promise. I want Him. I want all of Him. I want the unsearchable, unknowing, uncontainable one living in me because when he's in me, all of that comes with it. Are you aware of what I'm saying? Are you hearing me? This was the original intent of why God is doing what he's doing. This is what this is about. I don't, you know what, church? I don't have a clue of all the things God's doing. That's way above my pay grade but I trust Him. I trust Him. I trust Him because His Word says I'm supposed to bear His glory. His Word says I'm created in His image and His likeness. And He says, I'm going to restore you. Oh, church, don't get me wrong. I struggle. I struggle. When I look around the room, I start counting empty seats and I wonder what's going on. I wonder is this my fault? Is it because I'm not good? Is it what? All of the stupid stuff. How many know what I'm talking about? And I can have 50 people come up to me and say, you're great. And, and I know because I've said it, you will. But there'll be one that goes, eh. 
and I'm focused on the eh for the next week. I struggle. But let me tell you something. This is what God's up to. God is saying, look at, I'm changing some things. I'm coming back to this planet, and I'm going to find a bride that's ready. How many know God wants his bride? How many know? I don't know what all that means. I don't know what events are going to occur. I know this. This is what I know. I'm going to be ready. This I know. Ah, and if you know what, it's 100 years from now, fine. If it's 10 minutes from now, thank you, Jesus. But you know what? Somewhere along the line, I'm going to be ready, and I'm going to do what God's called me to do. Can you say amen? Amen. Wow. If any one of the guys that have technology experience know how to shut the... Thank you. Hallelujah. God's so good, isn't he? I want to finish up right now with just one last thought. And I want to share a story with you that makes a point. There was a time in Jesus' life where he had developed some relationships with some people. We knew them as Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And they were good folks. They loved God. They loved Jesus. And he had, Jesus had often gone to their house and had often uh, spent time with them and had often uh, fellowshiped and ate with them. Well, one time Jesus was a little ways out of town and one of the guys that there, Lazarus, had gotten sick. And they sent a message to Jesus that said, Lazarus, the one that you love, he's sick and not near death. And Jesus said, it's okay. We'll give it some time. I don't like that answer. Neither do you. I don't like it when Jesus delays. But it's, he always delays for a purpose because I've discovered our God is a God with a flair for drama. He says, if I, he says, if we're going to do it right, let's do it in a real right way. Let's make this an event. How many know what I'm talking about? And so somewhere along the line, Lazarus dies. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, it's okay. He's just sleeping. <laughs> don't you hate it? Don't, don't you hate it when positive people come into your life and, you know, your car's dead and they go, it's okay. It'll, you'll get it fixed. <laughs> the engine just fell out. It's six blocks down the road. <laughs> you know, yeah, have you ever had that? It's like Jesus like, eh, it's all right. He's just asleep. And we know the story, don't we? We know the story that finally Jesus came and Mary and Martha are freaked out. And Martha, she's bold enough, she's aggressive enough that she comes and she looks at Jesus and she basically accuses him. If you would have been here, if you would have responded when we called. See, that's what I want to say to God sometimes. If you would just do it my way. If you would just do what I'm telling you, I'd fix this whole thing. I know how to fix everything here. I know how to get, just listen, listen to me, God. I got it worked out. But he didn't. He actually responded. And I love Jesus' response because he doesn't respond in condemnation or, or even conviction. He just responds, if you knew who I was, that I was the resurrection and life, you wouldn't even be talking to me right now. 
you wouldn't even be worried. And he comes on the scene and he has him roll away the stone. And the Bible says that he says, Lazarus, come forth. And we know the story that Lazarus is raised from the dead. He said, what is the point of all of that? The point of it is God's not done. See, church, our God's a God of restoration, and he's not done. Are you hearing me? I don't care what you're going through. You may be going through a lot. All of us are. And I don't minimize that. I don't mock that. I don't, I don't uh, sit back and, and, and say that that's not real. It is real. There are real things going on in this world. All of that. And we need to take all of that very seriously. But the thing that we also need to take seriously is our God is a God of restoration. And he's not done. And he's moving. And what he needs, church, is he needs you and I. He needs you and I to take our place. See, church, I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to get us to do things for the sake of doing them. I'm wanting us to enter into a dimension. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm wanting to enter in. I have been, I've been saved a very long time, 48 years. And in that 48 years of salvation, I've had the opportunity to go to very different ministries. And when I go to the places that have a demonstrable or a, a, a very real demonstration of worship and praise, there is a dynamic that comes into the place. There is something that happens. A lot of it has to do with setting an atmosphere. A lot of it has to do with the passion that's being expressed. Oh, there's no doubt people can abuse it, and they will. Jesus said it this way. He goes, you know what? You leave the tares with the wheat, and at the end, my servants will separate them later. See, if you pull out the tares now, you pull out the wheat too. See, and we're always trying to protect ourselves. We've got to stop protecting, and we've got to start rejoicing. We've got to start living and reveling in this thing called glory. It's who we're created to be, church. And that's what God's trying to restore. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you so much. We thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed to us your truth. We thank you that you have given us your plan. You've made it clear to us, Lord, and we rejoice. And I pray right now for every person in this room, God, that you would touch them. Father, that you would encourage them. Father, help them to break out, Lord, of that comfort zone to enter into a new dimension with you. Whatever it may be, you know what it is, Lord. You know what you want us to do. And Father, I pray that you put it on their hearts. And Father, that we would focus on that you are the God of restoration, that you are restoring us to your original plan. Let us see that. Father, when negative things come, we know that it hurts and it's difficult, but help us to make a quality decision to put our minds back upon you, to rejoice in you, to take on the garment of praise, to put that on and to worship you. And Father, we thank you. And I, I just pray, Father, for the lost. I pray for those that don't know Jesus. I pray, Father, that you would draw them in. Father, that you would draw in hearts and lives that need Jesus. Lord, that they can receive grace, find hope, and experience transformation. Father, I pray, God, for every need represented in this room today. 
God, that you would touch every need that those that are watching online in their homes or in wherever they may be. Father, I pray, God, touch and minister. God, your grace and your goodness. And Father, we're careful to give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, just before we go, let me just say to you, we, we, we stand on the, the edge of something really powerful. But we cannot be convinced that if we keep doing it the way we've always done it, that somehow it'll change. It just won't. Look, at, I'm not trying to take us into a, a style. I don't care about style. I'm trying to take us into a dimension of Holy Spirit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. God's going to look for it. Look for it. Every day, my wife and I are doing this thing together where we're praying and we're taking notes every day because we're determined to mark his moving, even at the smallest level. Because see, that, that, that when everything changed in Israel, when the cloud the size of a man's hand, if you're not careful, you can miss it. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss what God's doing. Can you say amen? Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to let you go. We love you. We appreciate you. We want to uh, just let you know um, God's doing a great thing, and we'll see you next week. You have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. God bless everybody online. We'll see you later. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. Can't wait to see you next week.